day. What a great moment we have here together. Whether you're in person here at church or if you're online watching with us, we are glad that you are here. And if this is your first time, welcome. My name is Seth, and we're just so excited that you would join with us. And hopefully uh, you feel welcomed. And online, if you want to connect with us, there's ways to do that in the description below the video. We'd love to connect with you here at Friends Church. Well, as we continue, let's read together from Philippians chapter 2 as we continue in worship, believing that the Lord has called us and drawn us together as one church. Would you read? God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Come on, let's continue to worship. He is so worthy. Let's sing. Worthy of every song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you Oh yes we do Jesus the name above every other Jesus, the only one who could ever save is so worthy, worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. We live for you, Lord. Oh, holy, holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Yeah. 
for us to go and do that. And let's remember these words from Psalm 36. Oh God, your constant love reaches to the heavens and your faithfulness extends to the skies. Your righteousness to ours like the mountains and your justice is deeper than the sea. All find protection under the shadow of your wings and we feast on the abundance that you provide. You are the source of all life, and in your light we see light. Let's stand upon him in trust and obedience today, church. Let's stand in awe of him and what he's done for us. I stand amazed. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me a sinner condemned unclean 
singing how marvelous how wonderful and my song shall ever be how marvelous how wonderful is my savior's love face all that we encounter, all of the division and the hate and the strife around us in the world today, we can remain in your love. We can celebrate your love. We can be assured of your love. And for that, we are so grateful. Well, we pray for the world around us, 
that is seeing in this moment so much suffering, so much hardship. And Lord, today I specifically lift up those that are directly affected from COVID-19 in some form or fashion, those that still can't find a job, those that are still with reduced hours at their work, those whose businesses are struggling, and those who are facing direct illness of the virus, those that are quarantining, Lord. We receive news of school systems nearby that are facing massive amounts of, of quarantines, Lord. And all of it gives us a giant disruption of life that throws things into a chaos and makes us feel, Lord, as though we might be lost. Any planning we might do, Lord, it, sometimes it feels like it doesn't do any good because we don't know what, what lies ahead. But we can put our trust in you. So I pray, God, that, that as the world around us is in suffering, Lord, that we can provide a witness and a light to you. Help us as your church to be drawn to you, to be fixed upon you as your family, as your body of believers, to be strengthened and to be uplifted and to be the source of hope for all to see. I thank you, Lord, for the, the freedom and the, the privilege it is to, to gather together whether we're online or here in person, Lord, it is such a blessing to be with our sisters and our brothers scattered all throughout and yet sitting at your feet to worship you, to hear from you, to learn from you. So Lord, change us by the power of the Holy Spirit that we would be somehow different walking out of our, into our next space than when we did coming into this space, into this time. Thank you. Thank you. We ask your blessing on each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated here. And if you're joining us online, go ahead and get comfy. Uh, if we haven't met before, my name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here. Just a couple of weekends ago, I had the honor and privilege of officiating a wedding. This is probably my 45th or to 50th wedding. I can't keep track anymore. I've done... Quite, quite a bit of them. But as you know, weddings are a little bit complicated these days, right? I've heard of couples that just reason to themselves that, hey, if we can't invite all of our guests to come and be a part of this wedding, let's just get married right now. Some couples have just gone ahead and got married with their closest loved ones. This particular couple that asked me to officiate their wedding, their plan was to have a small ceremony with their loved ones, with their uh, closest family members, and then later they would have a reception where they could control the crowd and, and all of that. And so this was my, f my smallest wedding, the smallest wedding ceremony that I ever performed a couple of weekends, uh, weekends ago. But in that ceremony, I took the congregation through something, an exercise that I typically do when I'm officiating a wedding ceremony, I have the, the bride and the groom look at one another, and I say to the groom, groom, do, doesn't your bride look beautiful today? Oh, yeah, she looks beautiful today. 
And to the groom, or to the bride, doesn't your groom look dashing? Doesn't he look great? Yeah, he looks great. I want you to look at each other, and I want you to remember this moment, because you're not going to see one another throughout your marriage the same way that you see each other right now. I know it's so romantic for me to bring that up on, on the wedding day. But I bring that up to highlight a really important truth. And the truth is that love is hard, guys. You know this. Love is difficult. The, the kind of committed, invested kind of love. That love is really difficult and challenging at times. And as much as love is a feeling, as much as love is full of starry eyes and flutters of the heart, Love is also a decision. It's a choice that, that we have to make and commit to another person. Now, in this series that we just started last week, we've been, we're going to be taking you through our new church mission statement, our new church mission, to love Jesus, to live like Jesus, and to lead others to Jesus. And if you missed last week, that's okay. That was the intro because we're going to spend the next two weeks talking about what it means to love Jesus. And when we think about loving Jesus, loving Jesus is very much in the same way that we have love and express love to one another. That it's more than just what we can gain in a worship experience or a retreat or a, a pie in the sky, riding on the mountaintop type of experience. It's more than just the heart flutters and the starry eyes. It is also a commitment. It also takes a great deal of work. It, it takes a great deal of practice to practice that love. So what I want us to be able to ask ourselves um, as we cover loving Jesus is that what does that look like? How do we practice love? And today we're going to address that question by talking to you about the devotional life, the devotional life. So that brings us to Luke chapter 10. So if you brought your Bibles, if you have your Bibles at home, you can open up to Luke chapter 10. And in Luke chapter 10, verse 38, we have a somewhat famous story that many of you might know about Jesus and two sisters, Mary and Martha. Now a little backstory to this, to this particular part of, of Luke's gospel in the first century among Jews, there is a high cultural value on hospitality. In fact, it's commanded in the Old Testament law to practice hospitality even to the strangers. And a big part of that comes from ancient, the ancient Hebrews, ancient Israel. They once were a nomadic people and counted on the hospitality of others. And so therefore, they were called to practice hospitality. But in addition to that, in that particular time and in that particular place, Israel-Jerusalem served as the cross-section for trade routes between continents. And so there are lots of different people coming from all different kinds of places looking for shelter, looking for hospitality in order for the local and for the regional economy to even work. And so it was very common for people of that day to house even strangers, to feed them, to give them a bed, and to take care of their needs so they could be refreshed for the journey ahead of them. So when we see that Jesus is staying at Mary and Martha's house, we know, first of all, that Jesus is homeless, 
and that he needs a place to stay, and that Mary and Martha are housing him. And we don't know if this is the first time that Jesus is meeting Mary and Martha. We know that Mary and Martha show up in other places in telling of the gospel story. But Jesus is staying with Mary and Martha, and Martha is busy doing everything that would have been socially acceptable and expected of her to provide a meal, to provide a hospitable space for their guest, and not only just any guest, but someone that they have already heard and known about, this great man, Jesus, whether they believed him to be the Son of God or not, they knew that he was someone special. And so here is Martha scurrying around, doing all of the domestic obligations that would have been expected of a woman in that day, and yet we have Mary, who's also a woman, her sister, who's not helping out and not and, and bake, breaking the barrier of that social code and, and sitting at the feet of Jesus and learning his teaching as if she were a disciple, which was a role reserved only for a man in that day. And yet it wasn't Mary that was really the focal point in the beginning of in this story in Luke chapter 10. It's actually Martha and what's going on in, in Martha's heart. So we read here in Luke chapter 10, starting with verse 38, it says, As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. Martha might have had some experience about telling her sister Mary what to do and knowing that Mary probably wouldn't listen to her and was asking Jesus to take care of it for her. And if you've been a part of a group project at any point in time, whether in school or at work, and you know when someone else is not pulling their weight, the aggravation that comes out, the inequity, the unfairness of that sort of situation, we can identify with what Martha is feeling in her frustration with her sister. But we also can identify greatly, I think, with Martha. As Luke tells us in the way he's telling the story, that she was distracted. World that is full distractions. Uh, recently, I was reading a book. I was a part of a book study with Pastor Steve and Pastor Jim. We were reading a book by Mark, uh, John Mark Comer, and the book was called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Sounds like a good title, huh? The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And in that book, he highlights research that was done in the last uh, decade or so that between the year 2000 and the year 2015, the average attention span of Americans had decreased from 12 seconds to eight seconds. Now, just for a little bit of scale there, a goldfish has nine seconds of attention span. We can't even pay attention long enough to compare with a goldfish. And when you look at all of the dings and the, the, the brightness and the notifications on your phone or the 24-hour news cycles 
or the different obligations and tasks that you have each and every day that occupy your brain, you recognize we live in a distracted world. In the original Greek, the word distracted literally means to pull away. and We feel pulled away. There's a couple of reasons for this. The first is just a major influence of living in a, a material but also a spiritual world that seeks to distract us. Thomas will tell you that marketing and branding is all about grabbing your attention. And there is an, an economy of sorts of attention getting where competition between businesses are fighting over grabbing, what, grabbing your mind so that you could focus on what they are doing. The saturation of advertising we're filled with or the, the technology that we carry with us wherever we go, we are constantly bombarded with distractions in our world today. Spiritual dynamic to this as well. Daniel Henderson says that Satan doesn't need to destroy God's people. All he has to do is distract them. And he says that the evil one, Satan, he will deploy his weapons of mass distraction against God's people. And we feel that. Because we're under the pressure and the weight of distractedness all around us, but also we are prone to distraction as well. Take it from someone who is diagnosed with attention deficit disorder in fourth grade. It is hard for me to focus. And there are certain life conditions that make it worse for me, whether I'm tired, whether I'm stressed. There's so much going on, so much demanded of me. You can identify with this. And it gets easier and easier for us to be distracted and easier and easier for the distractor to grab our attention. Martha was distracted. And there was a cost, and there is a cost associated with our distractedness. I know this all too well. And sometimes it comes out of the mouth of my three-year-old girl who says, Daddy, put your phone down. We are prone to distraction, and we live in the world that seeks to distract us from the things that are much more important. And so when we're talking about what it means to love God or love Jesus or be according to God's purposes as a collective church, that a distracted self loves cheaply. Distracted self loves cheaply with little investment, little commitment, and little depth. The return is small and shallow. A distracted self loves cheaply. And so Jesus responds to what's going on in Martha's heart. In verse 41, he says, But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all the details. Only one thing worth being concerned about, 
Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Mary discovered the one thing. Notice the contrast. Martha distracted with the many. Martha centered on the one thing. On the one thing. And to live a devotional life that grows in in depth and commitment in love to Jesus is to center on that one thing. It's to be a Mary, not a Martha. It is to lay aside even the good and expected obligations that we have in everyday life to look to Jesus and to fix our eyes upon Jesus and to be in relationship with Jesus. Now, we Christians, we talk about a relationship with Jesus quite a bit. And if you come from like a high church tradition uh, in, in church, maybe saying that you have a relationship with Jesus sounds a little bit funny. But when we say that, we, we talk about how we are in an ongoing covenantal relationship with Jesus. But the danger is thinking that the relationship that we have with Jesus is exactly the same way as it goes when we're in relationship with each other. And that's not That's not necessarily the case. That when we're in a relationship with one another, there is a mutuality that is needed for the relationship to thrive, right? Each person has to be invested in the relationship. And if one person is either not as invested as much or not invested at all, that relationship just won't last. The relationship won't flourish. And so when we talk about having a relationship with God or having a a relationship with Jesus or having love for Jesus or with Jesus, we're not saying that we stand in this mutual positions as if Jesus needs our love in order to be in this relationship. But instead, what we find is that in John chapter 15, Jesus describes exactly what this dynamic is like. He says in John 15, 9, he says, I have loved you. He's talking to his beloved. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. So remain in my love. The devotional life that aims towards growing and and deepening in the love of Jesus is simply to remain in the love of God. Sitting there saying, I don't know how to love Jesus anymore. I feel like I'm doing all the right things. I'm practicing all of the the, the Christian practices. I'm, I'm, I'm checking off all the boxes that my pastor and my church leaders tell me that I need to do in order to love Jesus, and yet we're still not... We're we're still not feeling it. We're still not sensing ourselves growing in love with Jesus. It's because that we need to move beyond. Christ wants us to move beyond simply Christian activity into a loving, living relationship with him to remain in his love. The things that we do as, as we practice faith is to remain in the love of Jesus. And so there are practices to our faith, to loving Jesus. And there are characteristics that those practices are meant to drive. And sometimes we see, see it the other way around. We, we say to ourselves, well, if we can just do all of the Christian things, we can check off all the boxes, then we're going to grow in love with Jesus. 
but we won't grow in love with Jesus unless we understand what the practices of our faith are meant to drive, those characteristics of a love relationship. So, for example, worship. Sunday, we gather together on Sunday morning, whether we're online or we're here in person, and we sing praises to God. We lift up worship, and in the English, you take that word apart, it is worth-ship. It is giving God his due worth. We're recognizing who God is. We're recognizing what God has done, what God continues to do, what God will do. We give God his due worth. Appreciation. It's back nearly all of the fights that I have with my wife. <laughs> and almost always, it goes back to this idea of appreciation. That the things that we do in our relationship, whether it's the household chores or taking care of the kids, everything that we do, the run-of-the-mill stuff when it comes to being in a household, if we don't appreciate one another in that relationship, it comes up. Now, it comes up first in these different topics, but when, if we're able to get to it, it nearly always comes back to appreciation. And because appreciation is an expression of what it means to be in love and to remain in love, that we naturally appreciate that which we love. And so to be and remain in the love of Jesus is to appreciate and recognize who Jesus is what Jesus has done, what he continues to do, what he will do. That is worth-ship. Drives appreciation. So to begin with that, try Thanksgiving. You know, I think each of us, no matter what we're going through, as, as heavy and as hard as it might be, we could always say we're grateful for at least one thing. There's at least one thing we could name that, that we're grateful for, that we are thankful for. Worship. Another practice that we have in, in the church is, is the reading of Scripture. We read, we read the Bible. And a lot of times it's, it's easy for us to think about our own situation and, and what we're going through, and we say to ourselves, I need some guidance here. I need some, some guidelines for, for how to deal with my situation. And so we go to the Bible. And we, and we should go to the Bible in those circumstances and in all circumstances. But it's important to know why. This book, it, it looks like a book. It smells like a book, too. But you know, this is a library. This is a, a, a library full of books that contribute to a larger story. Part of, yes, but I'll break it to you. It's, it's not about you. It's about God. So when we read it, we get to know God on a deeper level. Through our intellect and our mental knowledge, but also as we experience it to be true. Sometimes to think, wow, I memorized a lot of scripture, guys. Or, or it's common to say, you know, I've read through the Bible three times. 
But what does that matter? If that through the reading of Scripture, we're not getting to know God on a deeper level. That's why it was written. To know God. And to know God is to love God. Think about all the layers of your relationships. From superficial to intimate. That scale from superficial relationships to intimate relationships moves according to knowledge. The people that are closest to you know you best. God wants a deeper relationship. Know him greater. Read scripture on an ongoing basis to know who God is. And through that process of knowing who God is, we learn what God has to say about us, too. We learn about ourselves. We learn about ourselves, then we start to put pieces together of how to be in this covenantal relationship with God. Who is God? Who are we as a humanity? And what does this relationship with God look like? So as much as we might be tempted, you know, B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. As, as much as we'd like to treat this like a manual for life, and sometimes it is, remember what I said last week, God's not so concerned about giving us a manual, but we sing about Emmanuel on Christmas. God is with us. It leads us into deeper knowledge of relationship, and the more we know God, the more we love God. That is why we practice the reading of Scripture. That's why we encourage you to, to do pray Scripture exercises. It's to engage the Scripture and to pray through the Scripture even to learn about God, to learn to know Him more so that you could grow in deeper love with God. This you're a part of and others would recognize is that Christians pray. They're a part of, of prayer drive communication because every relationship needs communication. <laughs> I can remember when my wife and I were dating in a dating relationship and we were long distance and so we had to talk on the phone quite a bit. This was before video conferencing where we could actually see one another. And I got to tell you, once we got to the part where we were just listening to each other breathe, got a little, little boring, sorry honey, a little boring for me. But we kept doing it. Why? Because what else are we going to do? We had to communicate if we were going to grow in our relationship. More than just us listing requests or trying to bend God towards our own will. Or giving God our own grocery list to say, hey God, this is what I need in life. But it is to communicate, to abide, to be with God to talk and to list our requests and to share what's going on in our hearts to God in prayer. It's also to listen, to meditate, to reflect, to consider what is God telling me right now? What is the Holy Spirit saying to me? That's why we practice prayer. So here you have these sort of outward practices that even the world would look at Christians and say, oh yeah, Christians, they worship and they are engaged in scripture and they take part in, in praying. But a lot of religions do that kind of thing. What's the difference? The difference is because those expressions, those practices are meant to drive deeper love in relationship. We do them because they lead us into a deeper relationship 
with God. And so earlier I asked you, how do we practice loving Jesus? The real question is, how does love of Jesus practice itself out? How does our love for Jesus come into practice? How does it become practical? And the truth is we do these things so that we can draw deeper in love with Jesus. And so, I wanna leave you with a blessing from the Apostle Paul, and I pray that this blessing would stay in your hearts and minds, and I invite you to go look it up. It is out of the book of Ephesians, chapter three, verses 18 and 19. Some of you might even know this by heart, and I pray that you'd be blessed by it. It says, and may you have the power to understand as all God's people should. How long, how high, and how deep his love really is. And may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Oh Lord, bless us. Consumed with your love, practice a deeper love commitment to you out of forced obligation like the Marthas of the world, to be more like Mary, to sit at your feet, taking in with awe and wonder all of who you are. God, help us to spend more time with you. Help us to be more committed to a devotional life. We can grow more in love with you. Individually, and this is the prayer of our church. Grow in love with you together, that that love for you is a shared experience, that we catch it from one another. It's all in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining us here today. As always, we will have a series of questions that come up on the screen. Use those to reflect and journal through if you're by yourself, or if you're with your loved ones, you can use those for discussion. We are praying that we can all continue to grow in our new church mission, love Jesus, live like Jesus, and lead others to Jesus. Love, live, lead. This is a great time for you to consider how God is calling you to love, live, lead. Now, in just a couple of weeks, we are going to be launching a brand new church website. We are excited for its launch, a way for you to get connected further into the church, to be communicated with, and to plug in appropriately with whatever ministry that God is calling you to be a part of. So we're looking forward to that. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for those of you that continue to be involved and plugged in so that we can continue to be the church of Jesus Christ even during these difficult times. Have a great week and we'll see you next week.
Thank you.